Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program, broadcasting on commercial radio stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio and every U.S. military base in the world, on your electronic device via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, and simulcast as television via Free Speech TV network on Dish Network, DirecTV, and cable systems all over the country. Gina Haspel, remember when she was being confirmed to be the director of the CIA and there were people like me who were saying, no, wait a minute, you know, this is this woman oversaw torture when she was the CIA station chief or whatever the, her specific job was in either Afghanistan or Iraq. Trump prevailed and she's now running the CIA. And it turns out that on Monday she flew to Turkey. And on Tuesday, the Turkish Secret Service played for her the tape of Khashoggi, apparently the, the way it played out, they, as soon as he walked in, they seized him. They stripped him naked so that a body double could walk out the back door wearing his clothes and walk around uh, Istanbul for, or whatever, Ankara, whatever town this was in Turkey, walk around for a few hours and be spotted by various surveillance cameras so they could credibly argue that Khashoggi had uh, actually walked out the back door of the embassy. See, here he is, you know, an hour later, walking down the streets of, uh, you know, in this town in Turkey. Uh, apparently, after they stripped him and uh, gave his clothes to the body double, they then uh, cut off his fingers one at a time as a way of torturing him and informing him about how angry they were. Uh, apparently, they then tourniqueted his arms and legs and sawed them off. And by that point, he died. The whole thing took uh, 10, 15 minutes. And Gina Haspel heard this. Now, she obviously, you know, supervising the torture of people by the United States in Afghanistan or Iraq probably does not have a particularly squeamish stomach. And my apologies if I just caused yours to turn over. But we really need to look at this kind of evil face on if we're going to be able to, to do anything about it. The news media, at least the cable news media, have gone full terror porn, all porn all the time. I mean, for many of us, we just reach a point of saturation with, okay, I got the story. What else is going on in the world? And there's a lot going on in the world. And I'm, I'm hoping 
that when Gina Haspel briefs Trump on this, which apparently is going to happen today, that something comes out of this, that something comes out of this. Meanwhile, Brian Kemp, and we're going to be talking with uh, Greg Pallast about this. Brian Kemp has come out and said, well, this was actually in a private campaign event, so he didn't come out and say, he simply said to a group of Republican donors, leaked on Tuesday by Rolling Stone, talking about how Abrams is, quote, putting behind, uh, putting a lot of resources, behind the get out the vote effort. And he said, this is something that concerns us, especially if everybody uses and exercises their right to vote. Right. Brian Kemp, vote suppression chief in Georgia, the secretary of state, who is also running for governor against Stacey Abrams, who, if she wins, will be the first African-American governor in the United States history. And I believe, certainly in Georgia history. And what's he doing? He's suppressing votes in black areas in African-American communities. In fact, a federal court just stopped Gwinnett County, the most diverse county in Georgia, from purging, from throwing away actual ballots. People had actually voted from throwing them away because some, you know, presumably Republican election officials said, well, you know, that signature doesn't quite match. You know, in the first signature, they've got their middle initial. In the second signature, they spelled out their middle name. It doesn't match. We need to throw this away. Uh, Gwinnett County is 12% of the population of Georgia, and yet, you know, as of about, what, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, I first reported this on this program, it accounted for 40% of all the ballots that had been thrown away, the early voting mail-in ballots, 40% of them. The Washington Post, Christopher Ingram, they did this really, really in-depth analysis of a new report that was published by political scientists at Northern Illinois University, Jacksonville University, and China's Wuhan University. <laughs> Seriously. And they were looking at the 33 different kinds of laws, election laws, that we have in the United States in our 50 different states because, you know, the Constitution and, and tradition have given the individual states the rights to decide who votes and how they vote and under what circumstances they can vote and when they can vote and when they can't vote, with the exception of that, you know, first Tuesday in November thing that's for the president. And these 33 different kinds of laws range from, on the one end, where I live here in Portland, Oregon, voters are registered automatically. Automatically. The state mails out ballots to voters weeks before the election. I got mine last Thursday. I voted Friday. I voted on Saturday. Mailed it back. I don't even have to show up. You know, it's all vote by mail. So there's no electronic machines or anything. So Oregon is the most compliant or the, the most easy to vote state. And then the hardest to vote state is Mississippi, which doesn't allow early voting, doesn't allow absentee voting unless you can provide a doctor's slip. And it requires a very, very strict and narrow definition of photo ID at the polls. And what they found, this is, you know, just quoting from this report, the five most restrictive states had turnouts in 2016 that were on average nearly nine percentage points lower than the turnout in the five states in which it was easiest to vote. So it accounts for a nine-point swing in voter participation. That's really substantial. And then they, they also said there are you know, some variables having to do with large states, small states, things like that. And if you just look at it you know, as a mathematical construct, like you know, what would these kind of laws do that suppress voting versus what would these kind of laws do that encourage voting? 
What they found out, again, I quote, the overall the model predicts an 11 point turnout difference between the least restrictive and most restrictive states in 2016. So you wonder why a minority of Americans voted for Republicans for the House of Representatives, but they control the House of Representatives. And that was like slightly less than half of Americans voted for Republicans for the House of Representatives in the mid 40 percent. The percentage of Americans who voted for Republicans for the Senate was in the neighborhood of 20 percent. And yet Republicans control the Senate. The number of Americans who voted for a Republican for the White House for the presidency was three million fewer than the number of Democrats. So more Democrats voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump. More Democrats voted for U.S. senators than did Republicans. And more people voted for Democrats in the House of Representatives than voted for Republicans. And yet the Republicans have so rigged the system over the last 30 years, and this has been a very well-funded, very well-organized effort, that the Republicans control the House, the Senate, the White House, and by virtue of that, they have installed their people in the United States Supreme Court. And now Donald Trump doubles down on this, and you know one of the most naked attempts at voter suppression literally ever in modern times he tweets, all the levels of government and law enforcement are carefully watching for voter fraud, including during early voting. Cheat at your own peril. Violators will be subject to maximum penalties, both civil and criminal. Yeah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Meanwhile, the Republican Party in Montana says, oops, we mailed out this brochure to voters saying they could vote up to 10 days after the election. Our bad. It's remarkable, isn't it? Michael in Snohomish, Washington. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Hi. Yeah, I was wondering in the upcoming congressional elections, how can we tell between how many people voted and how many votes were counted? Is there a way to tell yeah. like, how many were thrown out? Uh, you know, some states will report that. Most states won't. Some states do, however, report the numbers of provisional ballots and, and whether those provisional ballots are counted or not counted. We won't know that for probably weeks after, until weeks after the election. But the one thing that we will know the day of the election, if it's still being done, is the difference between the exit poll results and the actual vote count. And we'll have the actual vote count, of course, the night of the election. And the, typically the exit polls are published that night or the next morning. And so what we've seen historically, and I know several of the exit polling companies, uh, Matofsky Edison, for example, well, Matofsky and Edison used to be two separate companies. And then when the numbers started diverging from reality in the 2002 election and the 2004 election, it became a crisis for these guys. And in 2004, all the media jumped in and they created this one single consortium that, that was ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, I don't remember if Fox participated or not, and the Washington Post, the New York Times, and Edison Matofsky, okay, and, and they did the 2004 election, and, and I think they did the 2006 election. And again, there were, uh, you know, a handful of states where the numbers were really, really off, and in every single case, the numbers showed Democrats winning, but the votes, you know, the exit poll numbers showed Democrats winning, but the votes showed Republicans winning 100% of the time in every single case, and which is why they call this red shift, shifting toward the red, shifting toward the Republican Party. In some cases, it was 1%. In some cases, it was 3%. In some cases, it was as much as 7%. 
And at the time, many of us thought that that was indicating that in those states, electronic voting machines were being tampered with. But what we found is that this is happening regardless of whether people vote on electronic voting machines. It's happening in districts where there's a lot of paper ballot. There's no difference in the, in the, in the redshift between people who vote on paper and people who vote electronically, broadly speaking. So then the question becomes, well, why the redshift? The only plausible explanation is that people were given provisional ballots not explained to them that it would never be counted, thought that they had voted, told the exit poller that they had voted for the Democrat because they got a provisional ballot. They were probably minorities. So the exit pollsters counted them. And of course, the actual vote never counted them. So I think the way that we'll know, Michael, is by redshift. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. If I got time, since Donald Trump seems to have a cash register for a heart, do you think we could take up a collection and buy his presidency out from him? You know, uh, we don't have enough money. I mean, that's what the, that's what the Koch brothers have done. You know, initially they opposed him. They strongly opposed him. And then finally, when it was obvious that, you know, he was the guy and he would put uh, a right winger on the Supreme Court and he would advance right wing judges and all this other kind of stuff. When he started buying into their agenda, they poured all that money into the 2016 election in support of Republicans and a huge get out the vote effort, all of which benefited Donald Trump and doing the same thing this time around. And you're getting these anti generic anti-democratic party uh, ads and whatnot that are that are adding to, to Trump's uh, cachet, as it were. So, Michael, spot on. Thanks a lot for the call. So, Michael was asking, is there some way that we can know to what extent Republican voter suppression was successful in this election? Is there some way that we can know on election night? And my answer is yes, there is. But it's going to depend on there being exit polling. And this is one of the things that I have not been able to find any reliable news source on. And if you know, give me a call, please. If you know if there's going to be exit polling in this election, and if so, where and by whom. Because it's exit polling that has traditionally pointed out to us how Republican voting suppression efforts where and how successful they have been. The simple formula is very, very straightforward. The Republicans do everything they can to suppress the vote. The main thing that they do, however, is they knock people off the voting rolls. 14 million people have been knocked off the voting rolls by Republican secretaries of state and governors in the last year. 14 million, according to Greg Palast, who will be with us and we'll get the whole story on what's up. So the Democrats fight back, for example, Lyft. You know, Dodge City, Kansas, the iconic western town, it has now become 60% Hispanic. So, of course, the Republicans who control Kansas and control Dodge City, ironically, you know, which says something about how we need to get active, they decided that even though there's 27,000 people in town and many of the Hispanic people do not have automobiles, they're at the lower end of the economic spectrum, they depend on public transportation, they decided to move the single polling place, the one place in town where you could vote, way outside town, miles outside town, more than a mile away from the nearest bus stop. So Lyft, you know, the, the ride-hailing company, they compete with Uber? Lyft, along with Voto Latino, is offering Dodge City voters a free ride to the polling place. So, you know, using the hashtag Dodge City, hashtag Kansas, they tweeted, Dodge City, Kansas is a Latinx, Latinx, 
majority city that has had its only polling location moved outside of city limits without access by public transportation. So we're partnering with Lyft to provide rides to the polls. This is from Voto Latino. And it's also being sponsored by Johnny Walker. I'm assuming that that's the liquor company. Remarkable. But anyhow, what I was saying is the way we'll know is by looking at the redshift. Prior to 2000, there was no real consequential redshift. And prior to 2000, we had really a rapid way of knowing. I mean, the news media all knew who had won the election long before the polls closed because of exit polling. The news media were reporting, they were calling elections within minutes of the elections in many cases because of exit polling. Media, by the way, do this in Europe routinely. Every country in Europe, they do exit polling. And because they all vote on paper, and so it takes a day or two to count all the ballots, they release the exit polls the night of the election. Everybody celebrates, everybody goes home, and then the real vote comes in, and it's always the same. Rarely even more than a tenth of a point off. But in 2000, you had this massive voter suppression effort in Florida where Jeb Bush knocked 90,000 African-Americans off the polls so that his brother could win the election in Florida and the Supreme Court could hand him the U.S. presidency. And it wasn't just Florida where it was being done, but that was the most conspicuous. That's the most well-known. But it was really, uh, let's try this out. Let's see how this works. If we can suppress the vote of black people, will that get Republicans elected? And sure enough, it did. And it did in several states. But the exit polling companies, they were reporting that Al Gore won Florida. And they had egg on their face. I mean, it was horribly embarrassing. They had to, quote, correct their numbers. Remember that, 2000? In 2002, it got even worse. In 2004, it got so bad that the major companies in the exit polling business went bankrupt. They went out of business. And so a consortium of news media got together and said, well, we'll do the exit polling. And in 2006 and 2008, again, they were so far off. And nobody ever knew why. They assumed there was something wrong with the exit polls. What's wrong is that people are going into the voting booth or going into the polling place. They're told, your name is not on the list, but here's a provisional ballot. You can still vote. So they vote for the Democrat, typically, and turn in the provisional ballot, not knowing it'll never be counted. And then when they walk out, they tell the exit pollsters that they voted for the Democrat. And so the exit polls, this is why we have three points, five points, seven points, what's called redshift where the exit polls are saying the Democrat won, but there's been a three, five, seven point shift to the Republican in terms of the actual vote count, in quotes. So we need to be looking for this on election night because this will tell us how effective the Republican voting suppression efforts have been. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online and because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. Greg Palace is with us, our old buddy. At GregPalace.com is the website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. 
and he has been doing just amazing work suing Republican secretaries of state who have been suppressing the vote. I was just ranting a few minutes ago, Greg, about how if we're still doing exit polling, and I frankly, I don't know where it's being done, who's doing it, or what states are going to do it this year, but exit polling has been probably our most reliable indicator in the past of how successful voter suppression efforts have been because people go in, they're given a provisional ballot, they don't realize it doesn't get counted, they tell the exit pollster that they voted, then you know the exit pollsters say, well, you know, Al Gore won Florida by two points, but then the actual numbers come out, and oh no, it's dead heat, you know, and that's because 90,000 people got, <laughs> African Americans got thrown off the voting rolls in Florida by Jeb Bush, that kind of thing, that we're going to see that, that kind of redshift in state after state. Do you know what the state of exit polling is before we get to Brian Kemp and everything else that's going on? Terrible. What's happened is after the exit pollsters caught the Bush family in stealing the 2000 election, their hall before Congress, then the exit pollsters said, John Kerry won Ohio, won the presidency. Oops, they got hauled in again. So now they do something called conforming. Are you ready for this? They do their exit polls. And then when they get the official note, the official numbers, they start loading in the official numbers and throwing away their own actual data, which is the one thing that we have to try to figure out whether they stole the election, you know, for sure. You know, the United States State Department uses exit polls as the gold standard for determining whether an election was stolen. That's Ukraine. Oh, we overturned the election in Ukraine, for God's That's sake, right. because of exit oh, polls. Exactly. And so now... We find that Hillary won sufficient states to win the Electoral College in 16. And you had it exactly right. By the way, I know what you said, because I do listen to the Tom Hartman program on KPFK. <laughs> God bless uh, you. Yes, yeah, so we have this horrible thing called conforming, where they simply take the official word, the official bogus numbers, and you're absolutely right on why this is happening. We've had, we're talking in the last election officially, 2.7 million provisional ballots reported. That's probably about half the number actually cast. Two million of those were never counted. And that's the official word from the federal government. So we have this massive kind of back-of-the-bus voting system called provisional ballots, which is pretty much for uh, voters of color. And uh, I just came back from Georgia, and you are going to see provisional ballots in Georgia, like you can't believe, coming in. Plus, you're right, you have absentee ballots being thrown in the garbage. They use in Georgia, it's just they, excuse me, I should say, Brian Kemp, he's the Secretary of State, he's the guy who runs the election, counts the ballots, and he's running for governor at the same time, avoiding the usual inconvenience that Secretaries of State who run for higher office resign first so there's no conflict of interest. I mean, conflicts are us, is his, that's his operation's name. Mm. Tongue in cheek, but yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. that. I get that. Yeah, so, uh, so fact check. Yeah, that one. I made that up. All so right. the Republicans have been caught warning donors about voting while black. Is that donors or voters? Do I have a typo donors, here? Donors. Uh, he was on a private call with Thought Private. So Who's he? Recorded. That is Brian Kemp, the Secretary okay. of State, who is running against Stacey Abrams. He's the Republican. She's the Democrat. And as you should know by now, she'd be the first. African-American female governor of the United States, if they count all the ballots, at least from what the polling is showing. Mm. But so Kemp got on the phone and is scaring his donors into coughing up more money because he said, you know, Stacey Abrams is basically beating the crap out of us on uh, absentee ballots, people asking for absentee ballots in advance. Now, he has some tricks up his sleeve to make sure those ballots don't get to those voters, don't get counted, etc. But in the meantime, he is he's basically telling his donors Man, if they count these ballots, we lose. Send me money. Wow. 
Whoa. So what is the state of things right now? I noticed on your website a couple days ago, and in fact, I wrote an op-ed about it that was picked up at Slate and Common Dreams and Alternet and whatnot, in which I quoted you and I had multiple links to your website, that you have all these different state voter totals. At the time that I wrote the article, you had not put up a total for Nebraska, but you had the list. People could check it out. Right. What's the grand total? I mean, how many number, how many people do we know of so far that just in the last, what, six months or so, or the last year have been purged right. from the voting rolls and in what states? And then, of course, the follow-up question will be, and what can you do if you show up and they say, oh, here's a provisional ballot. I can't find your name. Well, number one, we have filed, and I say we, myself as a journalist, and then I'm joined by Reverend Jesse Jackson, other activists, NAACP, and in Georgia, the campaign, the Georgia Coalition for People's Agenda, that's Reverend Lowry's organization. So it's civil rights groups, and what we're doing is we're suing the states to get the names and addresses of people who have been purged, 26 states. We've got about 15 to comply, uh, Colorado, Nebraska, Indiana, Illinois, and after we threatened to haul his behind into court in the last week of his campaign, Brian Kemp in Georgia. Georgia has he has turned over the voter rolls. I did file a federal suit against him on Friday in Atlanta federal court because he's still stonewalling me on key uh, information. Hmm. And so that's so I'm still. But what we have found out is just in Georgia alone, we had 550,000 people purged from the voter rolls on grounds, you know, they call it inactive. What that means is that they move them from inactive to canceled. If you wonder what that fancy term means, it means that they think that Brian Kemp has decided that you've moved from the state or moved from your county. And I would say so far we've gathered over two million names. And the rationale, uh, by the way, for that assertion is typically that you failed to vote in the last election. You failed to vote, and then they send you a postcard. We call it the postcard trick. Yeah, it used to be called caging. There used to be, I mean, for 30 yeah. years, there was a, there was a federal court order preventing the Republican Party from doing this. But now they've got the court. So what they do is they mail you a letter. It looks like junk mail. In Illinois, 19 out of 20 people throw it in the garbage because it looks like junk mail. And then if you miss an election, they say, oh, that means that you've moved out of the state or you've left. And so you lose your vote. And so three, are you ready for this? 500,000 Georgians we know and have been given zero, zero notice that they have been purged, that is, from the voter rolls, that is, their registrations are canceled. And I want to tell you what we did, Tom. I did something no other journalist has done. Number one, sue to get the actual names and addresses of each of these voters. I did something else. I hired about four major consulting firms whose total job, what they do is that they find out where you live. Uh, I hate to tell you this, but American Express knows where you are on Thursday at 2 p.m. Right. Yeah, these are companies that sell marketing information to right. people who want to sell things to you, basically. Right. And these are the number one consultants in the nation to the biggest companies. And they have special what they call address hygiene systems. And they can yeah. tell you with absolute certainty where people live. I'm no, I used to run a company filter. that marketed with direct mail. <laughs> this is a very sophisticated operation. So these people know whether somebody still lives there or not. And they know it for sure because they've been engaging in commerce with these people, typically in the previous weeks or months. So they well, told they you what? Yeah. yeah, they have 200 databases, and we have a special contract with the post office as well, by the way. And using 200 databases and the post office latest data, they say with 96% certainty, they gave us the names and addresses of 340,134 Georgians who never never left the state and never left their county, never moved out of their registration home where they originally registered to vote. 
340,134. Overwhelmingly, these are voters of color. These are poor voters. These are students. So they literally will not know, if they show up to vote, that they've been knocked off the voter rolls. They'll be given one of those provisional ballots, which will not be counted. You cannot count a ballot if you are not registered, says Brian Kemp. Even if he wrongly removed you from the voter rolls, right. he's going to throw away your ballot, your provisional ballot. But however, you'll tell the exit polls, oh, I voted. And then there'll be a difference. And when that difference is uncovered, the exit pollsters will, quote, conform the data to the official line. Now, since 2000, since the election of 2000, when this was really rolled out in a big way on behalf of George W. Bush by his brother Jeb in Florida, but it was done in numerous other states, too. We have had election after election where the exit pollsters said the Democrats won, but the actual count says the Republicans won as a result of this voter suppression. It seems to me that had this happened to the Republican Party and been done by the Democratic Party, that starting in 2000, they would have been screaming bloody murder. It would have been absolute holy hell from the rafters. How are the wise elders of the Democratic Party responding to the research that you're doing and to what you're uncovering? Well, there's one elder named Stacey Abrams, who I've been talking to about this for five years. By the way, my lawsuit and investigation camp began before even discussed running for governor. I didn't right. think he was running for governor. So I'm not trying to influence the election. I'm trying to get people back their votes and get the information. But she understands it. So we have major African-American politicians understand exactly what's going on. Yeah. My problem is with the Democrats' white congressional caucus. For example, when I issued the purge list in Colorado, which was given to me by the Republican Secretary of State, his name is Wayne Williams. In response uh, to a lawsuit. In response to my lawsuit, yeah, he, he wasn't being generous. He was, he was right. forced to, yeah, okay. He was forced to give the names of the people he removed from the voter rolls, hundreds of thousands of Coloradans. And when I called him on it, he screamed bloody murder, held press conferences, attacked me. And the Democratic Party candidate's reaction was, oh, um, you know, I, he, he didn't like or she didn't like uh, what uh, Greg Palast was saying because um, the Democratic candidate didn't want to be negative. Oh, God. Didn't, we don't want to be negative. We don't want to talk about voters losing their votes. In Colorado, it's Hispanics and uh, American Natives. Of That's course. who's at risk in Colorado. So you ask, why should a state like Colorado, which should be blue to the core, given its demographics, why are Democrats losing Colorado? Because the, the Democratic Party is not protecting its voters of color. That's just, it's the sad and true story. Yeah. And that's one state. Is that emblematic of what's happening all over? I mean, I, I'm surprised Tom Perez is not screaming about this in the rooftops. Can you imagine if Newt Gingrich was running the Republican Party? I mean, he's out there right now saying, oh, yeah, the media deserved this. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you could just imagine how the Republicans would play this. If well, you know, when I uncovered the purge of tens of thousands of black voters in Florida, they were called felons. Their only crime was voting while black. Right. The head of the Democratic Party there was trying to get, he told me, trying to get Democratic politicians to say something. They wouldn't. They're afraid to say that they are the protectors of black criminals, uh, that they're protectors of illegal alien voters, etc. In other words, they are cowering from the Republican attacks. Remember, the Republicans' response to this is that they're preventing massive voter fraud, right. as if that they're having people drive in from out of state. No, they've never left Georgia. These are Georgians, sir, Mr. Kemp. So again... And it's unfortunate there's a huge racial divide within the Democratic Party on this. Yeah. 
Well, the one thing that we can do about that is elevate this to the status of issue. If all the Democrats listening to this program, for example, were to call their member of Congress at 202-224-3121, you have one member of the House, two senators, call all three of them and say, I want you, if they're talking to a Democrat, I want you to do everything you can to get the Democratic Party to raise holy hell about this voter suppression and this whole scam with the placebo ballot, the provisional ballots. Uh, Greg Palace, and of course, get over to Greg Palace's website, uh, gregpalace.com, and check out his movie, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Joe, watching us on Free Speech TV in Cupertino, California. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Great show, Tom, again. I wanted to bring attention to something that I found today. I voted yesterday in person, but this gentleman here that I live with, or by, he's been in the same house with his wife for 48 years, and they've registered or vote in every election. They went to get an online ballot, and they went to the state, and they found out that they weren't registered. So he does his own research and finds out that because of apparently... Uh, when registering to vote in 72, a date of birth was not required. They subsequently changed and added that requirement field on the new registrations. The old registrations that had no date of birth were arbitrarily assigned a date of birth of 1930. So the computer would be happy. So when they went online to check his status or do anything else with the state register, you put in your date of birth, it kicks you out. So it thinks he's 89 years old? Well, it keeps you out of the system because you put in the wrong date of birth, and they put down 1930 as oh, an arbitrary fill-in-the-blank. Uh. So he subsequently calls back to the county, and the county says, oh, that's right, and he's allowed to register. So this lady that called in earlier that was not being allowed to vote was kicked off the rolls, may very well have been denied that opportunity. Well, that wasn't was in California. That was, uh, that was someplace else. I think that was Texas or Florida. It, it was someplace else. Or Illinois. I just thought that that was interesting that they would throw you off. But, you know, the purpose of purging the, the rolls is so that you don't have dead people. I guess if you don't vote for a couple of elections, they want to purge those voters. I don't right. know if that's the best way to do it, but that seems to be a way of keeping it too. No, that's how they've always done it. I mean, you know, I have I have lived in and voted in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. From there, Louise and I moved to New Hampshire. From there, we moved to Georgia. From there, we moved to Vermont. From there, we moved to Oregon. Then we moved to Washington, D.C., and now we're back in Oregon. And in every single one of those places, I registered to vote, and I voted, and I never informed the previous state that I no longer lived there. So probably after a couple of election cycles, the previous state said, hey, this Hartman guy isn't showing up anymore. Let's take him off the rolls. 
That's entirely reasonable, although there's no reason to get hysterical about it. And there's no reason to do it with 14 million people in the year before an election. That's just keeping the rolls clean, because the fact of the matter is, if all those states still had me on their voting rolls, if I was still on the voting rolls of Michigan, New Hampshire, Vermont, Georgia, and Washington, D.C., it wouldn't matter, right? I'm not voting in those places, and nobody is voting under my name in those places. So, yeah, so you've got some people on the voting roll who are dead. You've got some people on the voting roll who've moved on. And eventually, you know, yeah, there should be some sort of bureaucratic system to catch that and take care of it. But what the Republicans have done is they've taken that system and they've weaponized it. I know you're aware of Prop 13 in California. It's been here for since yeah, from 72 or whenever it was. Well, apparently, the, Alex Padilla's got a split roll tax measure coming in 2020 that's going to allow, if it goes forward, the commercial property taxes and industrial properties to be taxed at market value and leaving the homeowners Whoa. that have been in their homes since 72 alone and letting ag and small business have some sort of a big business and Mm -hmm. a lot of equipment, some sort of an exemption. But this could raise billions of dollars for the state if we could just get business to pay their fair share of taxes. Yeah, and this is why businesses have not been selling properties, but they have been uh, leasing to each other and things like that uh, all these years. It's just basically to avoid taxes. Joe, excellent point. I hope that, whether it's a ballot initiative or legislation, I hope it passes. And thanks for the information on the voter rolls and, the, and that weird thing in California. That's fascinating. We'll be right back. Dwight in Minneapolis. Hey, Dwight, what's up? Hello, Tom. Uh, my point is, the reporters is the right wing likes to complain about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. And at the same time, they are denying people's right to vote. Yep. is one of the, va- the very basic tenets of this democracy that we live in. How contradictory can they be? Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really insane, Dwight, that, that you've got an entire political party that's saying, oh my God, a black guy took, his, took the knee during the national anthem. Um, but, you know, then, oh, let's suppress the vote. I mean, that's, you know, when the vote is the, you know, Thomas Paine called it the beating heart of democracy, and they're trying to suppress the vote, at the same time that they're claiming to be so patriotic. Oh, we love the flag. We love the national anthem. Well, those are just symbols. You know, the, the, the guts of American democracy are the vote. And you're absolutely right, Dwight, and you said it so well that they are, they are, they are just taking that down. Dwight, thank you for that call. Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Hey, you had a caller yesterday who was very concerned about non-citizens voting in San Francisco. Actually, something like that is happening, but it's not at all what the right-wing websites are claiming it is. Basically, had a situation where legal resident aliens were paying taxes and had kids in the school and weren't getting to vote in the school board elections. So they passed a measure in 2016, which gives them the right to vote in the school board elections only, because, of course, they're citizens of San Francisco, even if they're not citizens of the U.S., However, they have to fill in all the uh, required voter information anyone would for any uh, category of citizenship, mm-hmm. and they have to uh, be subjected to that information going to immigration because it's public records. So if there's anybody in the country illegally who tried to sign up to vote in a school board election, they'd be subject to immediate deportation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured it was something like that, Mike. I know that there are uh, actually several cities around the United States that have said that uh, people who are not full U.S. citizens but are living here legally and paying taxes and all that kind of stuff, permanent residents, people who've been here in some cases for decades on green cards, 
uh, that they should have a say in local communities. And so on a limited basis, they can vote, but they can't vote in national elections. And I think in most cases, they can't vote in statewide elections. It's, it's just on these local issues. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the clarification, Mike. I appreciate it. I appreciate the call because I just said no way. And I apparently I was wrong. Thanks, Mike. Gary in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Hey, Gary, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I'd like to disagree with you in part. Okay. please. It's not only the purging. Okay, it is the voting machine. Oh, I agree with you, Gary. Okay, especially in Georgia. I agree. Where there is no paper trail. Right. That's why I said especially in Georgia, there's literally no paper trail. No receipt, right. no nothing. Okay. 2004, Ohio, where more people voted Republican in that county, that, the total number of people that lived in that county. Correct. In 2000, then, in Florida, in Volusia County, the vote for Al Gore actually went backwards as the day continued. Another one. So it's this multiple-pronged attack. I agree. That's why we haven't been able to sit there and say, okay, 1% because of this and 2% because of that. And then you throw gerrymandering into the mix, and then you throw into the mix the fact that small states have two senators, just like large states, and the Senate controls so many things. And you got the Republicans in the Senate represent fewer than 40% of Americans. I think it's like 37% of Americans, and yet they control the Senate. That's why after this election, I mean, we have to win, but after this election, first order of business has to be to do what we haven't done since 1998 and get a handle on this election process. Yep. We need Congress to pass legislation saying that there is a national right to vote. It would be ideal to amend the Constitution to say that, but that's probably not going to happen anytime in the near future. But we could start with actual legislation. And we need to repass the Voting Rights Act so that the federal government can crack down on these states when they do exactly what Brian Kemp is doing in Georgia right now, suppressing the black vote. Gary, thank you. Amen. Amen. Tom Arbin here with you. This whole voter suppression effort is just breathtaking. And now we know that this is the principal reason that since 2000, we've had two Republican presidents who weren't actually elected by the majority of the people. We've got a Republican Senate that wasn't elected by the majority of the people. We've got a Republican House that wasn't elected by the majority of the people. And we call this a small D democracy. Really? A piece from Neiman Lab, N-I-E-M-A-N-L-A-B dot org. It's posted by Christine Schmidt. It's an AP story. And that's from, you know, half a year ago. 174 days remain until the midterms. The 2016 election wasn't polling's shiniest moment with many postmortems pointing to opinion polls misleading election forecasters and underestimating Trump's support. No, they were correctly measuring Democratic support for Hillary Clinton. What they didn't know is that those Democrats' votes wouldn't be counted because they would be giving provisional ballots. It goes on to say it didn't help that some polls were tied to news organizations that don't really have resources to support the work, you know, quack, quack, quack. And so they're trying to figure out how to get better polls. You're never going to get better polls when people think that they voted and come out and tell your pollsters, yeah, I voted. I mean, you know, and it gets reported, you know, well, here's how many people said they voted for Al Gore in Florida in 2000. I don't know why it shows 70,000 fewer people actually voted for him. Well, it's because they were thrown off the voting rolls. They voted provisional ballots. It's incredible. There are a lot of other things that are also going on in the world. Who Donald Trump really is and what kind of a scam he and his daughter and his sons have been running for years 
it appears that most of the genuine scam-like behavior comes after Donald Trump was bankrupt to the point that he was literally a billion dollars in the hole. And that he maybe never really climbed out of that. That he got large investments from foreign autocrats and oligarchs who helped bail him out. Uh, a lot from Russia, but a lot from other places around the world. Uh, he got a massive bank loan from the bank where the son of Justice Kennedy, who just resigned, where the son of Justice Kennedy worked, Deutsche Bank. No American bank would loan him money, so he had to go to a German bank. And that was apparently not enough. I mean, his father had recently died, although he's still getting money from his father's estate, and he has avoided paying apparently about $500 million in taxes. We know now from this New York Times report two weeks ago that Donald Trump is a tax cheat, that you and I have been subsidizing his lifestyle all these years to the tune of literally hundreds of millions of dollars, which is why, of course, he's not releasing his tax returns. But now we find that in business, he's actually a fraud. And this is from ProPublica. ProPublica has done this extraordinary eight-month investigation along with the WNYC, the news station there in New York City. And Heather Vogel writes this up on their website at features.propublica.org. Uh, this is an eighth-month investigation. The Trump family, I would call them the Trump crime family, helped mislead investors and buyers and profited handsomely from it. Patterns of deceptive practices occurred in a dozen deals across the globe, they write. Uh, or Heather Vogel writes over on ProPublica.com. One common pattern visible in more than half of those transactions was a tendency to misstate, I would say lie, key sales numbers. For example, Ivanka Trump gave false sales figures for projects in Mexico's Baja, California, in Panama City, Panama, in Toronto, Canada, and in New York City's Soho neighborhood. These states weren't just legendary Trump hype. They misled potential buyers about the viability of the developments. And I'll tell you, this is, you know, this is like a 20-page study here. I'm not going to go into an enormous detail on it. But basically what they do is they go to these people and they'd say, ah, you know, it's 90% sold out. You better get an apartment or a condo while you still can, when in fact they hadn't sold any units at all, right? Or they would say, yeah, we own 50% of it, so don't worry, it's solid. We got all the financing we need. Would you like to buy a unit? When in fact they didn't have the financing, they were financing it with the money from people who were buying units based on these false promises. And then in the case of, of Soho and Panama City and Baja, California, and, and several others, the Trump projects went bankrupt. They went up belly up, and the Trumps kept the money. Again, from this article, the Trumps often made money even when projects failed. And when they tanked, the Trumps simply ignored their prior claims of close involvement, denied any responsibility, and walked away. And here's, here is where this happened. In, in the Dominican Republic... Donald Trump claimed that he had $365 million in sales for this project. But according to a 2009 project audit, Trump reported he had $290 million in sales. The project was never built. Fort Lauderdale. In 2006, he announced that the hotel condo that he was going to build was already sold out. This is April 2006. In fact, by July of 2006, according to bank records that came out of a lawsuit, only 62% of the units had been sold, and as a result, they went into foreclosure. They declared bankruptcy, and Trump's name was removed. In Las Vegas, he told the Associated Press in 2005 that his condos were sold out. That was 2005. Six years later, in 2011, only a quarter of the units had been sold. 
Donald Trump and his family have been lying all the time. Panama. Ivanka Trump said it's a 1,000 unit building. We've sold over 90% of it. She told this to a newspaper in 2008. As of three months later, 79% were pre-sold and it went bankrupt and Trump's name was removed. In Soho in 2008, Ivanka told reporters that 60% of the units are sold. The reality of Trump partner's affidavit revealed that 15% had been sold. As a result, it went bankrupt. In each one of these cases, the Trumps walked away with a lot of the money. In Tampa, Donald Trump told the Wall Street Journal in 2007, the building is sold out. The reality, the developers failed to sell even the minimum 70% of units, which is what was necessary to pay for the construction. And so, again, it went bust. It was never built. In Toronto, at a 2009 interview, Ivanka referred to the property as virtually sold out. The reality, 24.8% of the units have been sold according to a 2016 bankruptcy filing by the developers. Again, the result, Trump walks away with the cash, the thing goes bankrupt, the Trump name is removed. In Baja, Trump claimed that he was a developer, a partner, and an equity owner. These are examples of this. More than 50 buyers claimed Ivanka told them that the Trump organization was the developer on a 2007 sales event. Over 50 people testified to this, according to a lawsuit quoted by Univision. They were, of course, lied to by Ivanka Trump. In the Dominican Republic, Trump was quoted as saying in a 2007 press release, I am excited to be building Trump at Cap Cana. She wasn't actually building it. The Trump organization was not building it. Oh, this was Donald Trump who said that. He wasn't building it. He wasn't the builder. He was just licensing his name. In Fort Lauderdale, he called the tower and hotel my latest development. In the Republic of Georgia, in Panama, in Tampa, in Waikiki, every single case, they lied. These guys are not just tax cheats. They're grifters. We've got grifters running the White House. Amazing. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Superbeets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Superbeats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Julie in Newburgh, Indiana. Hey, Julie, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, nice to talk to you. What I'm really calling about, the reason that Indiana is such a red state and the reason that we have people uh, like Pence is because every corner in every single direction, even the university of a great, big, beautiful university of Southern Indiana, wherever you go, the evangelists and churches pop up and they keep preaching for Trump and for the Republicans. Mm. I don't understand why, because the morality is obviously not there. 
All their beliefs aren't there. Here's Jared Kushner taking care of the countries that Jared Kushner knows nothing about. But that's our problem in Indiana, that for some reason religion runs this state, and it's really frightening. You know, it's sort of like the uh, the merger of the Wahhabist uh, right-wing preachers in Saudi Arabia and the Saudi royal family. The Republican Party right. has gotten in bed with the Jerry Falwells and Pat Robertsons of the world, and uh, surprise, surprise, we've, we've got theocracy, essentially, that, that is in bed with, hanging out with, doing the bidding of a, a political party. I mean, it's pretty shocking, really, when you think about it. Well, it's scary to me because I don't understand, I can't comprehend how anybody with any education or with any mind at all could could listen to these so-called religious people. It's okay to have a president who puts kids in cages. It's okay to have a president whose son-in-law, whose daughter, who himself are all thieves. It's okay to have a president to talk so disgustingly about women and and an adulterer. How can they? You tell me, Tom. By the way, the first time I ever saw you had a face was on Bill Maher, who I've interviewed. I became a journalist when I moved here. Huh? And I've got to interview uh, Bill Maher, and he is wonderful. And I got to see that you had a face. Yeah, well, Bye. thank you, Julie. Yeah, it was a pleasure being on his show. Um, I, spot on, Julie. And, and I, you know, it seems to me that what's going to be coming out of this is uh, James Madison's prophecy is coming true, that when the churches get in bed with the government, it will corrupt the churches and destroy their the, the, the faith that their base, that their uh, parishioners have in them. And I think that that's happening. Julie, thank you for the call. On the line with us is our old friend Victoria Jones, the chief Washington analyst for DC Radio Company, LLC. Her Twitter handle, Victoria Jones, DC. Victoria, welcome back. Thank you very much, Tom. It's great having you with us. So I understand that in the UK, the Me Too movement is being stopped in its tracks by male judges. And I don't think there's any parallel to that here in the United States, although educate me if there is. What's going on over there? I'm not familiar with any parallel here in the U.S. And we're certainly in the U.S. They're hoping, some are anyway, that it's a temporary halt. What has happened is that the Telegraph, which is a broadsheet, one of the, as you know, leading newspapers, got a tip-off in February that a very senior, powerful businessman behaved appallingly towards women. So they started investigating, and they started talking to a lot of former staff and associates to see if the allegations were true. And the sources who had known him for between 10 and 20 years described how they'd been bullied, threatened, and intimidated. So once they'd spoken to more than two dozen people, Telegraph said, yeah, apart from the alleged bullying, there were um, even more serious accusations of sexual harassment and racism against staff. And so they thought, yeah, we're really onto something here. The businessman became aware of this. And then in April, the PR people contacted them and the Telegraph just continued. Then they got legal letters arguing that the claims were defamatory and bullying and harassment and warned that harassment is a criminal offense, which can lead to your journalist being fined or imprisoned. So the reporters just continued. Businessmen then contacted editors and executives, warning them to desist. Then the Telegraph found it had enough to publish. And that's when uh, they, you know, contacted him again. And that's when it ended up in court, at which point 
a judge ruled, a very senior judge ruled, that, yeah, in fact, they they should be able to uh, go ahead. Justice Haddon Cave said the story was in the public interest, even though there were non-disclosure agreements and that some staff had been paid off. And that uh, it was re- the stories were reasonably credible, but there was little or no reasonable expectation of confidentiality, and nor was the information obtained in breach of the NDA's confidentiality said. And it was in the public interest and in the, ba- uh, in the interest of public discourse in a democracy. And so the businessman appealed. Now, by this time, by the way, this justice had been promoted to the appeals court, the second highest court in the land. Do you think you've got a couple of judges here on the appeals court who are who are, uh, you know, just as guilty of sexual harassment as the guy who's trying to shut this down and, and they're just covering their own butts? No, no pun intended. Uh, well, what you do have is judges with a background in contract and employment law. That's what you do have. Mm. I can't speak to the other things. And I think when you have that, you have uh, judges who look at things a certain way. You know, with, with the first judge, uh, you had a, a judge with a very strong background in terrorism law, anti-terrorism law, and with some very strong rulings on freedom of the press. Uh, these other judges have a strong background in contract and employment law. Now, they did say there needs to be a speedy trial, but one lawyer who was quoted in the Telegraph article raised the point that isn't it uh, odd that you can have non-disclosures and so you can have confidentiality if you're rich, but you can't have confidentiality if you're poor. Yeah, if you're rich or if you're in a position of power over somebody else yes. like, as an employer, yes. for example. Remarkable stuff. Victoria Jones, she is the chief Washington analyst with the D.C. radio company. Uh, you can tweet her at Victoria Jones D.C. Victoria, keep us up to date on how this story evolves, will you? Oh, I will. Thank you very much. It's great having you with us. It's great to hear your voice on our air again. Victoria Jones with the D.C. radio company. Thank you, Victoria. Hey, thanks so much for your support for the Tom Hartman program. We deliver our program, of course, to commercial stations, which is how we pay our bills. Uh, through the revenue from running advertising. And you can learn more about those at our website at TomHartman.com. But we also share our program with non-commercial outlets from Free Speech TV to Pacifica stations all over the country. And because with the Pacifica radio stations, there's basically no revenue coming in. The way that we support our nonprofit outreach is in large part through Patreon. And, you know, over at Patreon, people who support our program at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman, um, people who support our program there get, you know, special little clips and there's a few other goodies uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff. But that's principally, if you want to support the Tom Hartman program, um, that's the way to do it is to get over to patreon.com slash Tom Hartman and check out what we're doing and support our program. Thank you. Jason in Chicago. Hey, Jason, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. So I think that you're absolutely correct, and this is absolutely voter fraud. Election, Election fraud. fraud. Yes, you're absolutely right. Election fraud. I guess my solution would be they'd make the rules, and we have to follow them. So why are we not just saying, okay, well, you made the rules. Let's get some people down there and help these people 
Oh, Democrats have spent literally millions of dollars doing this with get registration efforts, get out the vote efforts. And now you've got, you know, Brian Kemp down in down in Georgia sitting on 57,000 voter registrations because, you know, we're not really sure they were all uh, from uh, black parts of the state. You've got other states where, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people have registered to vote recently in Texas. It's several hundred thousand people. And they're saying, you know, we just don't have the manpower to process these. Yeah, these people are registered in plenty of time, but they're just not going to be able to vote. I'm so sorry. You've got states like North Carolina that after they passed their voter ID law, they shut down uh, licensed DMV offices in black neighborhoods or radically cut back on, on the hours. You got places like in Kansas where Dodge City, when it, when it went 61% Hispanic, they literally moved the polling place out of town and a mile away from the nearest bus stop so that people who didn't have cars couldn't get there. So the wealthy white part of town, no problem. They'll get out there to vote. But the, Hispan the poor Hispanics, yeah. no. I mean, these are structural things that no matter how hard you try to play by the rules, uh, they are suppressing the vote. And it looks like, and this is the, the piece that I was reading from earlier, I think it was from the New York Times, shows that the predicted impact was 11%. The actual impact has been 9%, which says to me that we have been able to get an additional 2% of people in. But when you're 9% behind in a race that's decided by two, three points, you lose. Even four, five, six, seven, eight, nine points. You know, if you're nine yeah. points behind, yeah. you lose. So it just doesn't work. Jason, I, you know, I get the argument. It's the argument that the Republicans make. Hey, we made the rules. Why don't you guys play by them? But the rules suck. The rules are designed to suppress the vote. Jim in Toledo, Ohio. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind? I watched, I listened to you like last week or the week before, and you were, you, I mean, you pretty much shut down a guy because he called you out on, you know, putting... I mean, speaking about Russia, you know, involved in the vote, and I'm like, they're they're low on the list of things that would have been part of the vote. That the electoral college, the big thing. I mean, yeah, no, I agree with you. Vote. I agree with you. The if you, you if the Russians had not here's here's the reality, Jim. If the Russians had not intervened in the election. In all probability, Donald Trump wouldn't be president because they, they that effect has been measured and it was enough to swing it. But on the other hand, if Hillary Clinton had campaigned in the Midwestern states, probably Donald Trump wouldn't be president. If voter suppression had not occurred in those states, Donald Trump would certainly not be president. If uh, what was the thing that you just uh, you know, it was voter suppression that you were talking about, right? I mean, we can we can look at dozens of different things that were all variables. If Donald Trump hadn't gotten two billion dollars of the free media, if Les Moonves at CBS hadn't made the conscious decision that making profit from running stories about Donald Trump was more important than highlighting the crimes that Donald Trump had committed, Donald Trump wouldn't be president. If our media had been willing to actually call out what he was doing, uh, Donald Trump wouldn't be president. I mean, you know, yes, there's lots and lots of things. I don't, I don't get your outrage. Well, my outrage is, is that the one thing the Americans have that has always kept us strong is that we have a, a, a vote. Right. And when you bring up Russia being involved in that, they're very low on what happened. I agree. You had Comey coming out with the hacks that were... Oh, yeah, that's another one. If Comey really had never done his little song and dance around, around Anthony Weiner's computer, also Donald Trump would not be president. I agree with you on all those points, Jim. That said, none of those should have happened, right? We should have clean elections, we should have integrity in our elections, and we should not have foreign countries messing in our elections. It's real simple. And people, and it should be easy to vote. It should be as easy to vote in every other state as it is here in Oregon. That's our challenge. That's the, the work that we need to do. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there 
and get active tag you're it we'll see you we'll see you soon you've been listening to tom hartman for audio and video archives visit tomhartman.com 